Happening Food Eaters. This is Mel Weinstein, host of the Food Labels Revealed podcast and the self-professed prophet of processed foods. Welcome to episode number 54. This is another show dedicated to news stories about processed foods and trends. The food industry never stays static, so you and I have to stay on our toes to be aware of the changes constantly happening. In this episode, I go international to discuss the following topics. 1. How a neighboring country is trying to protect its kids from junk food. 2. England's obesity drive. 3. The misleading nature of the word natural on food labels. And four, why French women compared to others are successful at keeping the pounds off. For newcomers to the podcast, here's some info about me. I have a 30 plus year background in chemistry education, food testing, and food chemical research. And for much of that time, I've had a fascination, some may call it a brain fixation, with processed foods. What's in those foods? and how they may be affecting our health. I look behind the commercial food curtain at all of those strange, hard to pronounce, and sometimes dangerous ingredients that wind up in processed commercial foods. This is a 100% free, play at any time radio program. Suppress those thoughts about sending me money. This podcast has no sponsors, financial supporters, or Kickstarter campaigns. All the opinions expressed in this podcast are mine. And to keep it that way, I don't work with any business, commercial product, or sponsoring organization. Website and contact information will follow at the end. So, food eaters, let's open up the FLR newspaper. Every once in a while, it's interesting to see what's happening in the processed food industry. I subscribe to a news feed which sends me hundreds of links to online articles each week. After sifting through that thick, ever-changing paperless pile, I select some articles for the Facebook page and this podcast. If you haven't been to the Facebook page, search under the name Food Labels Revealed Podcast. There, you can like the page, and then you should start seeing posts in your news feed. You long-time listeners know that I have railed against the dangers of processed foods, junk foods, and fast foods for over four years now. Along the way, I've talked about some research studies revealing the harmful consequences of diets high in ultra-processed foods. The last FLR episode addressed the harm to children in this country and others. However, Over these four years, I've barely seen the needle move in the United States in terms of reducing the massive consumption of those foods. The reason? There is no concerted public outcry or government mandate to do anything about it. Government officials will bewail the growing numbers of obese people and type 2 diabetics. They will talk about the ever-growing burden on our health care system, and they will bemoan the likelihood that the current generation will not outlive their parents or live as long as their parents. Of course, we can follow the money to figure out why the U.S. government is so reluctant to take meaningful actions. The processed food industry, which encompasses junk food and fast food, rely on cheap ingredients to keep their costs and prices low. The cheap ingredients come from commodity crops like corn, soy, and wheat, and from the dairy industry. 
The massive production of these foodstuffs coupled with government programs designed to keep those industries propped up helps to create the cheap ingredients and the inexpensive final products for the consumers. Eliminating or greatly reducing the sales of ultra-processed foods would collapse the commodity food industries, leading to significant economic disruptions in this country. Add to that mix all the money and support that politicians get from the lobbyists of those industries, and it all makes sense. So it's really not in the best interest of the American government to curtail the consumption of ultra-processed foods, irrespective of the adverse health outcomes incurred by its citizens. Given what I just said, I'm shocked when I hear that other parts of the world have a different vision for their citizens. Let's look at what's going on in Mexico, a nation that many people view as a third world country. The following information comes from two online sources, the Washington Post and The Guardian in England. In 2010, it was estimated that sugar-sweetened drinks caused 12% of all diabetes, heart disease, and obesity-related deaths. About 73% of Mexicans are considered overweight, with 34% described as morbidly obese. Yes, 34%. In 2014, Mexico introduced a tax on sugary drinks and junk food, but stopped short of banning the sale of such items to children. The tax was about five cents per liter bottle. Some studies showed a seven and a half percent drop in consumption after the tax was imposed. Now, nowadays, the national government is introducing a nationwide labeling law in October requiring that foods high in sugar, calories, fat, and added sodium be marked with a black stop sign. That's a black stop sign. No foods with black stop signs will be sold in schools. Don't you think that's a pretty enlightened move? Now, some individual states in Mexico have gone even further. Just recently, the state government in Tabasco in southeast Mexico passed a resolution to ban the sale of sugar-sweetened beverages and highly processed foods to anyone under 18 years of age. Yes, I used the word ban. The state of Oaxaca, I hope I'm saying that right, in southern Mexico passed a similar bill. These ultra-processed foods are being placed in the same category as tobacco and alcohol. Yeah, think about that. These laws establish fines, store closures, and jail time. Yeah, jail time for businesses that are repeat offenders. Also, the prohibition extends to vending machines in schools. The COVID-19 pandemic has spurred the Mexican government intervention into private industry to protect the health of their children. Mexico has recorded almost 50,000 deaths, passing Britain as the third worst country. Note that Mexicans drink 163 liters of soft drinks per person every year 
and that's the most in the world. Of course, the soft drink manufacturers are up in arms, declaring that they are being unfairly targeted, and the new laws will financially hurt bodegas and other small businesses. Here we see the typical clash between a free market economy, which is fueled by profits, versus the desires of a, of a society to create the best lives for its citizens. All right, next, what's happening across the big pond in the United Kingdom? This news is taken from several stories in The Guardian and NHS Digital, a media hub in the UK for healthcare information. Prime Minister Boris Johnson has recently supported the sugar tax on sugary beverages. Johnson's recent brush with the COVID-19 virus last spring, which put him in intensive care, gave him a big scare due to his obesity level. He used to weigh 245 pounds with a body mass index of 36.2, putting him solidly in the obese category. His government is also looking at banning junk food commercials before 9 p.m. and are considering a blanket ban on commercials for all sweets and fast food online. With two-thirds of British adults either overweight or obese, the government felt compelled to steer a healthier course through their legislation. Here's what the soda tax looks like in Great Britain. There is one tax for drinks that have over 5% sugar and another tax for those with more than 8% sugar. The collected taxes were supposed to be allocated to sports programs in primary schools. Scientists at Queen Mary University in London estimated that reducing the sugar in soft drinks by 40% over five years would prevent 300,000 cases of type 2 diabetes and 1.5 million cases of obesity. Those are some whopping numbers. However, some soft drink companies seeing future losses in profits are responding to the pressure. For example, PepsiCo has pledged to reduce sugar content in their beverages by 2025. Now, I would be shocked if PepsiCo rolled out the same plan for its American consumers. So far, it doesn't look like the British government is taking any stern measures against pitching junk food and fast food to kids. Here are some facts about British kids taken from a 2019 report entitled National Child Measurement Program. The prevalence of obesity in four- and five-year-old kids rose by 9.7%. That's almost one out of 10 preschool kids are classified as obese. For kids aged 10 to 11, the obesity prevalence was 20.1%. 20.1%. That's amazing. For kids entering the primary school level, 22.6% of them were either overweight or obese. Lastly, these averages are even higher for kids living in deprived areas. All right, staying with the international theme, here's a fluffy piece 
published by the Daily Mail. It seems that obesity is not a huge problem for French women compared to those in other parts of Europe and the Americas, even though they consume some very rich and high caloric foods like pastries and cheeses. Do those women have better genes or do they eat differently? Using data from 2018, at 21.6%, France ranks number 30 in adult obesity rates in Europe and Russia. They're not the lowest, but not too bad. Compare that number to the 37.7% of the population in West Virginia that's obese. According to the author of the article, what makes a big difference is that French women take the time to savor their food and to eat more consciously. It's not so much what they eat as it is how they approach the process of eating. Here's a quote from the article. The Parisian woman would never drink her coffee in one go, then bolt down a croissant. Instead, she has a mouthful of coffee which she savors, followed by a bite of croissant, then perhaps a spoonful of yogurt. She rotates between the flavors and textures on her plate, enjoying each individual element until her breakfast is finished. At the end of the meal, she feels satisfied emotionally and physically, because not only has she taken the time to enjoy her food, but her brain has had the opportunity to register that she has eaten. It takes away the urge to overeat. And because she feels replete, she's less likely to reach for a snack an hour later. End quote. The eating process involves training the brain to pay attention to each morsel of food that is eaten and to monitor the brain signal that enough has been eaten then stop. This is called the sensory approach to eating. It is mindful, not thoughtless. The author goes on to say, quote, it takes away the desire to comfort eat or go back for seconds because you've gleaned absolute nourishment and pleasure from your food, End quote. One way to eat more consciously is to drink a bit of water after each small bite, which allows you to experience the flavor and pleasure of the food instead of gulping it down. Then pause between bites to savor the food. Most important is not to combine activities with eating, because then your mind may focus on the other activity, such as TV watching, sporting events, conversing, etc., rather than the enjoyment of the snack or meal. Overeating often accompanies boredom, so it's advisable to eat a meal that has a, at least three flavors on the plate. Don't mix them. Eat them individually so your brain has time to appreciate the different foods. Don't pay so much attention to portion sizes. Rather, control the speed of eating. Lay the eating utensils down as you pause between bites. If you're preparing your own meals, add spices and herbs that will stimulate your taste buds. All right, let's look at a, a summary of the key points of, of this article. One, take small bites. Two, 
Don't combine eating with other activities. 3. Drink water between forkfuls or spoonfuls. 4. Savor the taste, smells, and other sensory elements of the food. 5. Avoid boredom by enjoying different food flavors at each meal. 6. Add spices and flavorings to prepared meals to increase the savoriness of the food. And finally, chew slowly. Using these techniques, you will find over time and with practice that your daily calorie consumption will go down. In the final words of the author, quote, Within the jaw, there are stretch receptors which respond when we chew. The more we chew and the more time we take for eating, the greater the feeling of fullness. There are similar stretch receptors in the stomach which send signals to the brain when food is present. Low fiber, sweet and fatty foods pass through the stomach without stretching the receptors. Conversely, whole grain and fiber-rich foods such as fresh fruits and vegetables act like a sponge in the stomach, swelling with water and expanding to stimulate the stretch receptors and vagus nerve, telling our brain that we are full. Not only are these foods dense in nutrients to nourish us, they are also low in calories, so they give a feeling of fullness without adding excess energy. Our stomach is only the size of a clenched fist so it doesn't take much for it to feel full. We just need to listen to the signals our body sends." End quote. By the way, little trivia, what country in Europe has the lowest obesity rate? You'll never guess. It's the combo country of Bosnia and Herzegovina. Maybe it's because their land was ravaged by war from 1992 to 1995 with accompanying food shortages, or maybe it's because they don't have access to as much junk food and fast foods as other European countries. The last topic to discuss is one of my biggest pet peeves when it comes to food labels. If you've been a long-time listener to the FLR podcast, you know that I go rather ballistic over the ingredient called natural flavor or natural flavors. The same holds true for synthetic flavors, but those are not on the agenda for today. So what's the problem with natural flavor? First, processed food manufacturers are not required to tell consumers which natural flavors are used. They get by with just using the generic term. Second, many natural flavors are highly processed and considerably far from being natural by the time they are used in a food product. According to law, the source must be natural, but not the final ingredient. Third, if the word flavors appears on the label with a plural, that could mean two ingredients or dozens. You just don't know. These deficiencies impact consumers since natural flavor is the fourth most common ingredient on food labels. Much of the information presented here on natural flavors comes from articles published by the Huffington Post and Bon Appetit. Let's start with the Food and Drug Administration's definition 
of a natural flavor. They may be derived from plants, for example, fruits, veggies, spices, herbs, barks, and roots, or from animals, for example, meat, poultry, seafood, eggs, and dairy. The unnatural aspect of natural flavors is that the flavors are extracted from the original source, and that process may involve fermentation, distillation, and hazardous solvents. To make them shelf-stable, natural flavors may contain preservatives and emulsifiers, and also they may be contaminated by the solvents used to isolate them. Manufacturers love to use the word natural to attract customers who think they are getting something healthy for themselves. The only upside that I can see about the use of any flavorings, natural or synthetic, is that they are typically used in very small amounts. So if the dose makes the poison, then the health risk for flavorings are fairly low. There is one exception by the FDA, which requires a food manufacturer to list the flavor ingredients when they could trigger one of the eight common allergies that may be caused by milk or eggs, nuts, wheat, etc. Since food companies are not required to reveal the sources of flavors, this poses a problem for vegetarians and plant-based eaters who will not know whether the flavor ingredients come from plants or animals, so they have limited information for making their food choices. Lastly, many flavors are not made from a single compound that's been extracted and purified from a natural source. Many of the flavors that wind up in foods are actually blends. The whole process is similar to how perfume companies come up with new scents by carefully combining odors that synergistically create something new and pleasant for smelling. It's an art. One may even say it's a dark art since it's wrapped in secrecy. So, the next time you see the word natural flavor on a food label, realize that there is a lot you don't know about what you're eating. Well, food eaters, it's time to close this newscast. To all of you out there in podcast land, I appreciate you taking the time to tune in. If you have a little bit more time, I'd greatly appreciate a review, good, bad, or indifferent, at the iTunes store. You can find all the episodes of Food Labels Revealed and their show notes, which include you know references that I've used in this one, at the hosting website called Podbean. That's at www.podbean.com or just by Googling Food Labels Revealed. If you have a question or comment on anything about food ingredients or this podcast or just want to say hello, then drop me a line at foodlabelsrevealed at gmail.com. That's foodlabelsrevealed at gmail.com. To stay up with news stories about food, you may want to check out the Facebook page listed under Food Labels Revealed Podcast. I'm not sure about the topic for next month, so just stay tuned and be surprised. Until later, always remember this. If you want to eat well and keep yourself healthy, eat foods mainly from natural plants, not manufacturing plants. The outro music piece is a clip from Concerto for Four Box Cello in B minor, composed by David Heilowitz. Thank you.